I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 to 9 this morning. We looked at Philippians 3 verses 1 through 3 two weeks ago, and this morning we're going to continue in verses 4 through 9, and as you turn there, let me pray for us. Father, this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, where we get an insight into Paul's heart, his desire for Christ, his longing to know him more. Lord, I pray that as we ponder this passage, that that same desire would well up in our hearts for Jesus, that we would long to know him more, desire him more, to give our lives more fully to him. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a story of a a young boy who grew up in a Jewish family and a very um, pristine family and was taught the scriptures from a young age, knew the word of God, the Old Testament, inside and out from a young age. He probably would have had much of it memorized. Um, And they saw that this young boy was very unique and he grew up and became very zealous for the things of God. He was committed to the scriptures. He was committed to uh, the, the, the oral tradition of Israel. And he joined an elite sect group called the Pharisees. And he was committed to observing all the commands that were not only in the Old Testament scriptures, but also in the oral traditions and the commands that were added upon that in, in order to make sure that, that he, as a follower of Yahweh, as of the God of Israel, would be faithful and remain faithful. And he was so zealous, so passionate for the things of God, that when his own people began to worship this human figure named Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, he became angry. He was consumed with seal for God, and he made it his life mission to destroy this, this new Jewish sect, so to speak, these individuals who were supposed to be worshipers of Yahweh, and now they were worshiping this man named Jesus, who claimed to be God in the flesh. And so he was there, standing, at the feet of a man named Stephen who was stoned to death for his testimony about Jesus Christ. And then he was given permission to travel and to do all that he could to stop the people of the way. That is, those who were followers of Christ. And little did he know that on his way to Damascus, he would encounter the very one who he was trying to stop, Jesus Christ. Christ appeared to him in a vision, and as we know how the story unfolds, Paul was blinded. He heard a voice, and and that voice said to him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he calls Paul, that is, Jesus calls Paul, and calls him to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, Paul had no idea how that event would radically change the trajectory of his life. He had no idea how that event, encountering Jesus Christ, would radically change his thinking 
and his desires about life. And here in Philippians 3, 4 to 9, we're given a glimpse into that radical transformation. Now, in order for us to to understand verses 4 to 9, we need to look back a little bit of what we looked at in the last few weeks. In the context, Paul's warning the believers in Philippi about the Judaizers, a group who claimed that the Gentiles needed to practice circumcision in order to be considered a part of the new covenant. So they they not only needed to believe in Jesus, but they also needed to, to observe the traditions of the Old Covenant, the the laws of the Old Covenant, specifically that of circumcision. In other words, faith in Jesus wasn't sufficient. You also needed to be circumcised. And so Paul is warning these believers in Philippi about this group, and he's reminding them of who they are as the true people of God, which he speaks of in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These Judaizers think they are the true circumcision, but no, it's, it's actually we who have experienced the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit. It's we who have, who have the Holy Spirit, and because we have the Holy Spirit, we're able to worship God. It's we who boast, we who glory in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is really making this contrast in verses 1 through 3, and then what he's going to unpack for us here in verses 4 through 9. Either you put confidence in the flesh, that is, you put confidence in self, boasting in self, confidence in self before God, or you glory in Christ Jesus, or you boast in Christ Jesus. And so in verses 4 to 9, Paul uses his own life as a demonstration of this. Confidence in self or boasting in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 4 to 6, we see Paul's old mindset. The way he used to think before he encountered Christ on that Damascus road. And verse 7 to 9, we see Paul's new mindset. The shift in his life. So verses 4 to 6, Paul's old mind said. So, all, so Paul, de, in, at the end of verse 3, describing him and the Christians, and are, he describes them as those who put no confidence in the flesh. And in verse 4, he wants to shut down any reasoning, any rationale that one might have to put confidence in the flesh. And he's specifically responding to the mindset of the Judaizers. He wants to demonstrate to them that if if they think they have reason to put their confidence in themselves, in their own performance, in their own heritage, he's saying, no, no, I have way more confidence than you do. If you think your confidence before God is based upon who you are as an ethnic Jew and, and what you've accomplished, I have far more reason to have confidence than you do. That's Paul's argumentation. Look at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then, in verse 5 to 6, he lists all the reasons for why he has more confidence in the flesh. And you could break this list up into two categories. One his inherited privileges, and two, his personal achievements. 
So first, his inherited privileges. We see four inherited privileges here. First, Paul says that I have more confidence of flesh. Why? Because one, I've been circumcised on the eighth day. In following Jewish law, based upon the Old Testament, his parents had him circumcised according to the law on the eighth day. So Paul's demonstrating here that he was an insider within the covenant community of Israel from the very beginning, in which he alludes to in his next statement when he says, of the people of Israel. Paul was a a pure-blooded Israelite. He was a part of the chosen people of God. He wasn't a proselyte from paganism, but from the very beginning, he was considered a part of the covenant community of God. Now, not only that, but also he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what's significant about being of the tribe of Benjamin? Well, it's interesting, if you follow the history of the Old Testament, there were only two tribes that didn't rebel against the reign of King David tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm of the tribe that remained loyal to the true king of Israel. I'm of the tribe that remained loyal to the anointed one of God. Unlike the other tribes who rebelled against David's reign. And not only that, he says here he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And we're not totally sure exactly what Paul means by this statement. It's not clear. Many would argue that that what Paul here is referring to is the fact that both his parents were Hebrew, but it's also likely that that Paul here is referring to the fact that that not only did he speak Greek, but he also spoke Aramaic and and, and Jewish and Hebrew, unlike the rest of the Jews who would primarily have spoken Greek at the time. So he was fluent in the Hebrew language. He would study the scriptures in the original language. These are Paul's inherited privileges. But we also see his personal achievements. At the end of verse 5, he says, As to the law, a Pharisee. As to the law of God, a Pharisee. In Israel at that time, the Pharisees were the most respected sect within Judaism. They were seen as the religious leaders within Israel. It was a demanding role. It required intense discipline. They were devoted to keeping the hundreds of commands of the oral law. Paul was devoted to this, and and he would have most likely had the majority of the Old Testament memorized. It was rigorous. It was an elite group. And and Paul's saying that I was a part of this elite group of Israel. The rest of Israel looked to me for guidance. Not only that, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now you might be thinking, how is this something to be proud of? But you have to understand Paul's mindset as a Pharisee before he came to faith in Christ. Paul probably viewed himself in this statement like Phineas in Numbers 25, 6 to 8. Remember that story? God judges Israel because the, the Israelite men go and marry the Moabite women who he commanded not to do because he knew that if they did, the people of Israel would be led astray into idolatry. 
And so God judges them for their disobedience. And, and the men go and they Marabite, Mar- marry these Moabite women and, and it leads Israel to commit idolatry. And Phinehas, we're told, was jealous for God. He was zealous for God's glory. He was passionate to make sure that Israel did not commit idolatry. And we hear of the story of this man who's sleeping with this Moabite woman. And Phinehas is consumed with jealousy and passion for God because God's name is being profaned. And he kills them both for their act of sin and rebellion against God. And he's honored for what he does. He's zealous for God. And Paul here, I think, is using that language to capture what he was like. He was zealous for God's name and his law. He, he saw these Jews, his fellow people, worshiping this human figure. He saw it as idolatry, and he was committed to doing all that he could to destroy this new Jewish sect of, of individuals who said that Jesus was now the Messiah and that, that he was truly God in the flesh. He was consumed with a zeal to stomp that movement as quickly as he he could. And finally, he says, as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Now, Paul's not saying that he was sinless. Paul understood that the law itself provides rituals and practices that would allow for purification and forgiveness of sins. But Paul was utterly devoted to keeping all the 613 commands in the Torah. He lived an exemplary life in accordance with the Pharisaic interpretations. He's not over-exaggerating when he says this. He, He wasn't one of those hypocritical Pharisees. We read the Gospels and we tend to think that all the Pharisees were were hypocritical. But no, many of them were genuinely trying to follow God. And Paul was one of those individuals. And he was genuinely blameless in upholding the law from all outward appearances. He kept the law. But Paul's life changes and he discovers that even though he can keep all the laws from outward appearances, his heart is still sinful and in need of transformation. So this is the list that Paul gives in order for his readers to understand and the Judaizers, that he has far more reason to put confidence in self than the rest of them. Were you circumcised on the eighth day? Were you of the tribe of Israel, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews? Were you as zealous for me as me for God's name? Were you blameless in upholding the law? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, I have way more confidence before God than the rest of you in regards to blamelessness and and righteousness. This was the way that Paul used to think. But then he encountered Christ and everything changed. Now I'm guessing no one here is battling temptation to place their confidence in their Jewish heritage. But the spirit that Paul confronts here is still alive and well in the human heart. We may not be tempted to boast about our ancestry or our religious heritage, but we may be tempted to place our confidence in things like our wealth, our social status, the people that we're above, our education, our families. 
I'm amazed at how much temptation there is to build your identity upon how good your family turns out. Our business successes. The church ministries that that you've been involved in. The position that you've had in the church. Maybe it's your own physical appearance that you place your confidence in. Or your own good works. There are a plethora of things that we as humans seek to find our confidence in, to build our identity from. But before a holy and good God, none of these will suffice. And the Apostle Paul came to understand this. And that's why in verses 7 to 9, we discover Paul's new mindset. Paul's new mindset. I have far more reason for confidence in the flesh. But then look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had from all of these things, I counted as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul here is using financial terms to convey what he means. What he's doing here is he's, he's counting all of these assets that, he's, that he has based upon verses 5 and 6. He's counting them all up. And whatever credit was mine from these things, he's saying, I've now counted all of these things up. These things that I once treasured and valued, that I once put all my confidence in. And now, in light of Jesus Christ, I consider them as loss. And he tells us why. For the sake of Christ. In other words, Christ is the reason for this radical shift in Paul's thinking regarding all that he once placed his confidence in. Everything that Paul thought, believed, valued, was re-evaluated in light of who Jesus was and what he had done for Paul. The old Paul who placed his confidence in self and pursued a righteousness in the law was dead. The new Paul who now saw his inadequacy in light of Christ was alive. Now in verse 8, Paul gives further explanation for this change of mind, for this this change of thinking. And he says here in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because, this is his reasoning, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So all this this stuff that I once boasted in, that I once placed my confidence in, that I thought that through all of this I would be right with God, I count all of that, everything as loss because Christ is of a superior worth to all of those things. Knowing Him, treasuring Him, is greater than all of those things. Knowing Christ became everything to Paul in such a way that he could count everything else as loss. Do you think that way? Do you count everything in your life as loss in light of knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus. And Paul didn't only have this mindset, but he actually experienced it as well. 
He actually experienced the loss of all things for the sake of Christ. As he says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So that's his mindset. And then he says, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So he didn't just have the mindset that he counted everything as lost, but for the sake of Christ, he actually lost all things. When Paul was called by Christ, Paul had to count the cost. And for the sake of Christ, he truly did suffer the loss of all things. I think it's hard for us to grasp just how difficult it would have been for Paul to follow Jesus. For us, growing up in North America, maybe some of us had a difficulty when we came to faith in Jesus Christ and our families were were very much against it. And so we might have faced some kind of family opposition, but most likely most of us have maintained our relationships with our families when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. We haven't lost a whole lot when we came to faith in Jesus Christ living here in Canada. But for Paul, he actually lost everything. Think about it. When Paul came to faith in Christ, he lost his former community. He was a Pharisee. He was respected within all of Israel. And in a moment's notice, that whole people group turned against him. He would have lost his friendships. We don't know anything about his family, but most likely he would have lost relationship with his parents, his wealth, his position in life, the respect of the people. He lost everything. It would be very similar to a Muslim living in Afghanistan and converting to Jesus. He would lose absolutely everything, possibly his own life. That was Paul's experience. And so Paul's saying here, for his sake, I actually have suffered the loss of all things. Not only do I, do I think it, but I've actually suffered it. I've actually experienced it. But he's not mourning or sorrowful over it. In fact, look at what he says. He counts all those things as rubbish. As rubbish. Now a better way to translate that word is actually the word dung. He counts all those things as dung in light of knowing Jesus so that he would gain Christ. Paul's saying, I count everything in this world as dung in comparison to knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, in order that I may gain Jesus Christ. All Paul wants is more of Jesus. His life is consumed with Jesus. Now it's important to understand that that all those things he considers to be dung aren't bad. Paul's not saying that that my, my... Growing up as a Jewish child and learning the Torah is dung. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, all these things that I once boasted in, all these things that I once built my identity off of, all these things that I I built my confidence in, those things have become dung to me in light of that mindset. The things that I once treasured in light of knowing Christ, these things have become like dung in my mind. These are good things. 
But Paul's trying to make a point. He's trying to emphasize the surpassing worth of Jesus and finding his confidence there. So this is Paul's new mindset. Christ has become everything to Paul. And this this should remind us of what Paul writes in Philippians 1.21 where he says, For to me to live, Christ. In other words, he wants to honor, magnify Christ in his body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live, Christ. If I'm living, my life is Christ. He is consumed with Jesus. He sees him as a surpassing worth. What are things about Jesus that are truly a surpassing worth? Well, you could pursue that for an infinite amount of time and marvel at all the things about Christ that are a surpassing worth. That he is the very one who spoke life into existence. He's all-powerful, yet humble. He's all-knowing, yet gentle with the ignorant. He's gracious. He's merciful. He has pity on sinners. He touches the unclean and makes them clean. He casts out demons by his very words. He is more beautiful than any created beauty that we see in this world, for he is the source of beauty itself. He is righteous. He has never sinned in his thought, word, or deed. Think about this fact that Jesus has never spoken one thing that is false, ever. He is radiant and glorious, full of compassion, full of forgiveness. He is the sin remover, the wrath bearer. He conquers sin and death in himself. He's also going to make all things new. He's the great high priest who intercedes for us. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There are a plethora of things that make Jesus a surpassing worth. He is worthy of your pursuit. So we see Paul's new mindset. His life is about Jesus. His confidence is in Jesus. He wants to know Jesus Christ. But we also see here Paul's new dependence, which is connected to his new mindset. Look at verse 9. So for his sake, in verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So that should draw your mind back up into verse 5 and 6, right? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here we see Paul's new dependence. Now there's a lot of things that Paul says here. First he says he wants to be found in him. That is found in Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, he's simply referring to here as his union with Christ, that he's in Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. And and the way in which that happens is by faith in Christ. We are united to Christ by faith. But what Paul's saying here is that 
that he wants to be found in Christ because it's in Christ where there's a righteousness that is not his own. He wants that righteousness because he says here, right, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So he doesn't want to be found as one who has righteousness from the law. See, sometimes we don't understand this, but we not only need to repent of our sins, but we also are called to repent of our own righteousness. To think that somehow, in my confidence in self, that I could somehow climb the mountain of God and be right with God is absolute arrogance and pride. And so Paul's saying here, we not only need to repent of our sins, but we need to repent of our self-righteousness. He doesn't want to be found with his own righteousness that comes from the law. He wants to be found in him, that is Christ. And that's where he says, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This righteousness that, that comes through faith in Christ. So, so the means by which this righteousness comes to us is by faith, by embracing Christ, by trusting Christ. What is this righteousness? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Here it is. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The reformers often refer to this righteousness as an alien righteousness. It's, it's not from within. It's not, it's not from within me that I have this righteousness, but it's from God. God gives a man and a woman a righteousness when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So that even though you and I are guilty before a holy God through Christ's death, And through faith in Christ, before God, we now stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I want to be found in that righteousness. What righteousness are you depending on this morning? Are you trusting in yourself before God? Or are you utterly falling on your knees, crying out, Christ is my righteousness. He alone is the one who can save me. He alone is the one who can cleanse me from my sins and take away my sins forevermore so that when I stand before God, I am justified. I am made right with God. Christ died for my sins. Christ died for your sins so that you might be made right with God and receive the righteousness that comes from God, this righteousness that is a gift from God. And so we see here Paul's view on life, his change of mind. His life is all about Jesus. I mean, look at everything he says in regards to our lives in relationship to Jesus in these verses. For in verse 1, he says, let us rejoice in Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he tells us that we are the children of God who glory and boast in Jesus Christ. In verse 8, we are the children of God who, who consider knowing Jesus to be a far surpassing worth than everything else in this life. And then also in verse 8, we are the children of God seeking to gain Christ. For although we have him now, we do not fully have him now. For when he comes back, then he will be fully ours. 
Not only that, in verse 9, Paul says he wants to be found in him. And the children of God are those who have faith in Christ. So rejoice in Christ, glory in Christ, to know Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to have faith in Christ. That is Paul's life. And that is the life of every Christian. That ought to be our lives. And not only that, but the children of God are those who he says in verse 10 want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. Is this how you view your life? Is this your aim in life? To know him, to gain him, to be found in him, to be willing to lose all things for him. What things in your life are keeping you from fully giving all of yourself to Jesus? What other treasures do you have that you need to renounce for the sake of Christ? Friend, he alone is worthy of your absolute devotion because he devoted himself to you by dying for your sins. Let's pray. Father, make this true of us, that we would truly count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.